0: You can take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 49. The Spirit, in His good providence, has orchestrated everything about today's service to point to the 49th Psalm. And so, um, in the providence of God, we get to hear a lot of the themes still from 1 Peter chapter 4. We get to hear themes from Isaiah Fifty-five. We get to hear themes from our confession this morning. Uh, it's almost like the Lord would have let him let us hear Himself, right? So, so take heart that the Lord knows what He's doing as we hear from His truth. And I, I will say real quick before I read Psalm forty-nine, one of the one of the greatest blessings uh, preparing all week. For a sermon is hearing from the congregation telling me individual by individual how much they're praying for me. So I I appreciate that church. Praise the Lord for that. And uh, not only all we have is Christ, but all we need is Christ. All we need is Christ. Psalm 49, I don't give titles. I don't veer too much from the title you would see in... scriptures, but I will say this, if I were to, to title this just after sitting through our service thus far, this morning I would title this sermon, The Gospel According to Psalm 49, okay? So, here we go. This is the word of the Lord. Hear this, all peoples, give ear all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, and rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Truly, no man can ransom another or give God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike, must perish. And leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain, he is like the beast that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boast. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. The upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for He will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Let's pray. Gracious God, would You be generous to us this morning, even as You challenge, even as You wake up, even as You stir, maybe more than softly, Lord, we need shaken... This morning, Father, let everyone that has ears hear. Lord, would you be glorified, would life be changed, hearts be formed according to your glorious truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So I need everyone to listen up this morning, sit up straight, pay attention, wake up. Talking this morning to everyone. There's not a select group. No, I didn't single out a few in the congregation that, that, that filled my thoughts this morning and said this would be good for them. Okay? Doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your gender, your color, your job, doesn't matter your bank account. Whether you're young or old, as Warren alluded to earlier, whether you're rich or poor, male or female, listen up. Right? Now that is not me speaking, that is the first two verses of Psalm 49. You've got to get this. Starting off the psalm in peculiar form, this sounds more like the voice of a prophet. This is how Psalm 49 starts. Hear this, all peoples, give ear all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. Stop and listen. I have something important to say. And then the voice of the prophet quickly turns from a warning into what? Into kind of the voice of a proverb. It takes on the tone of what we would typically think to find in wisdom literature we see words like wisdom and understanding and proverb and riddle and these are words that are indicating profound truth and truth that will be an answer to one of life's mysterious problems Psalm 49 is not the only one of its kind. In fact, Pastor Scott let us off last week in our series on the Psalms with Psalm 1, which you would also classify as a wisdom psalm. But, but the wisdom psalms are, are rather peculiar. They're not a, they're not a prayer. They're, they're not a, a, a call for the people of God to worship the living God. It's not a cry out for deliverance that you would see in so many psalms. This is a wisdom psalm with the primary purpose of teaching and instructing the people of God. For Psalm 49, the wise instruction deals with the difficulty of one of life's enduring mysteries. There's no doubt all of us inside have wrestled with this mystery. And it's this right here. Why is it that the wicked always seem to prosper? Why do the powerful ungodly seem to prosper? To be on top? To always have the advantage? And why do the righteous, why do the so-called godly seem to most of the time be at the bottom? In this psalm, The ungodly are those who trust in their wealth and boast in their riches. And the psalmist isn't going to directly answer this question of why the wicked prosper. But with great wisdom, he is going to resolve the problem altogether. And a matter of fact, do something better for us than answer that problem. He is going to give great confidence to the godly. So if you're taking notes this morning, I'm sorry that I haven't prepared those beforehand for you, but but we're going to look at this. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. We're going to look first at the threat of the wealthy and the powerful. We will see that first here after the introduction in the first four verses. The threat of the wealthy and powerful. After that, we're going to go to the foolishness. The foolishness and folly of trusting in wealth. Then we will see the destiny of the foolish versus the wise. Finally, we will turn back to the threat of the wealthy and powerful and to see that the threat from the truth of God is resolved. And so considering the problem of the ungodly being on top, let's look at the threat. Look again at verse 5 with me. The psalmist says this why should i fear in times of trouble when iniquity of those who cheat me surround me why should i fear the psalmist starts his teaching with a question why should i fear during dark times Not just hard times, not just hard days. That's not what the psalmist is getting at. Not just days where it just seems for you, for for life to be rough. But these are actually evil times brought about by evil men. Times when the evil have the advantage. The, The evil would have the upper hand. Not only do they have that advantage, they are taking advantage of their spot. And as God's people, we know this also. This is why it's hard, and this is why we would call it a mystery. Because as God's people, we know this to be God's world. This is my Father's world, the Christian sings. As God's people, we know that God not only is the owner of this world, we know that He is also the Creator. And He is the ultimate caretaker. He is the ultimate provider. He is the one with supreme control over this world and over this universe. God's people know the truth of His sovereignty throughout the Scriptures. Truth like Psalm 89. Listen to Psalm 89. Hold it next to this mystery of why the wicked prosper. Psalmist in 89 says, "O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? You roll the raging of the sea with its waves rise, when its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass, you scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them." The north and the south you have created them. Tabor and Hermon joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. That's the truth of the sovereignty of God and God's control and complete reign over and throughout all of Scripture. So can we admit the times of unsettled fear and confusion for the godly in God's world when it seems like the wicked have their foot on our necks, the necks of the righteous, the neck of the godly, Can we admit that that's difficult and mysterious? When God is over all, when we are the godly in God's world, why do the wicked prosper? I mean, shouldn't the godly have the power and the blessing and the riches in God's world? Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? There's iniquity at times of trouble all around me. The psalmist says literally here, it's at my heels. I can't escape it. Verse 6, we find out who the foes... Some of your translations say the supplanters. We find out who the wicked are in verse 6. Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Now notice carefully that the psalm here is not addressing plainly those who are wealthy or those who are rich. Those who are wealthy and those who are rich exist both in the kingdom of God and out of the kingdom of God. Okay, and this is very important wisdom in this life and the life to come. But if you're an underliner, you underline this phrase, those who trust in their wealth. That is the point the psalmist is trying to make. That is who holds the power so often. That would be the wicked. Those who trust in their wealth and those who boast of the abundance of their riches. The issue being addressed is that of those who have confidence and find security in their wealth and are arrogant in their riches. Pride and arrogance because of what they have. And the question of verse 5 is actually rhetorical, and, and it should sound something like this when we read it and when we ask it. Why should we be afraid of the foolish? Why should God's people be afraid of the foolish of this world? Those who have confidence in what is fleeting. We don't get the answer here, and the psalm never really gives us something that is complete if we're looking for that of an answer to why the wicked prosper. and We actually won't hardly ever see it touched to the greatest depth that we would prefer. But we get something better. We get a redirection back to what is wise living. What is living according to wisdom? And indirectly it is, but this question should prompt us back to our way of living, which for the Christian is a way not of fully, foolishly living confidently for what we have and what we desire more of, but what our faith, matter of fact, who our faith is in. You see, our confidence and our security and our humility are not in temporary things of this world, but in the eternal things of God. So while this wisdom psalm has has sort of an Ecclesiastes flavor, we, we, we were just in Ecclesiastes heavily a couple months ago, you've probably sensed a little bit with the talk of death that it sounds a lot like Ecclesiastes. It's different in the fact that the psalmist quickly wants to solve the riddle and he quickly wants to get right to his point. And so here we are. This word for wealth that you see in verse 6 this word for wealth is way more than wealth as we think of it we're not just talking about wealth here as uh, as being financially stacked okay the word here for wealth actually means strength and power it carries with it the idea of a status or an advantage so we're talking about arrogant powerful people who are so inwardly and materially confident that they can't slow down, they cannot lose the top, they will do everything to continue to grasp for it. And this is the threat of Psalm 49. This is the threat of the worldly. This is a threat against God's people, the righteous, the arrogant, the powerful that aim to make a name for themselves and abundance of riches, understand this, abundance of riches for the ungodly is never enough. It's never enough. It does not satisfy. This foolishness is destructive. It's devastating. And before we look at the flaw of this way of living, let me just say, it would probably be wise for us to stop and not get into an us versus them here, but to look and see that in Psalm 49 there is something for us to be able to examine our hearts with as well. To step back and say, is there anything about this foolish way of living that Psalm 49 presents as those who are wicked that I myself have bought into. Anything about wealth that's just got a hold of my heart. Anything about power and strength that's just got a hold of me and is shaking a little bit my confidence in God and His promises. What's appealing and alluring to you this morning about worldly things? What's the inside threat? Before we look at the outside, what's the inside threat that tempts me and seeks to gain a foothold in my soul? Where do I look for security? Yes, I know this, this, and this. I have all the catechism questions memorized. I have all the Scripture I need to combat this. But, there are these things that wrestle... For my heart and for my soul, rich and poor alike, this is a battle of the heart, is it not? You don't have to be wealthy out of your mind to not wrestle with the temptations and the desires of this world. The battle between grasping at that which is fleeting and worldly and empty or clinging to a faithful God and His promises. And so that's the threat. A threat, no doubt, outside of us, but also a threat that we can certainly relate to inside of us. So that's the threat. Now let's look at the foolishness of trusting in wealth. And from now on, when I say wealth, you will know that it's wealth and everything that enables it. It's the power and the strength that goes with it. That, that is what this psalm is speaking of when it says wealth. Look at verses 7 through 9. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. Truly, the psalmist says, surely wealth can't buy life. It can't save life. It can't add years to life. Wealth can't redeem a life. Wealth cannot ransom a life. That's the point here. Here is where we are actually in the meat of being instructed. Why is trusting in wealth and fearing the wealthy and powerful so foolish? Why is it foolish to do this? First of all, it's foolish because it's impossible for a man to redeem himself or ransom himself for another. Skip down to verse 9. Let's, let me read 7-9 to nine without verse 8 for a second. 8 is kind of parenthetical. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. Verse 9, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. Verse 7 and 9 gives this picture of someone trying to escape death, the pit of death, by actually buying their their way out of it. Then you go back to 8, and 8 fills us in with the detail. For the ransom of their life is costly. It can never suffice. It's foolish because do you understand the cost to redeem a life? The price of your life, whether you are rich or poor this morning, the the cost of your life is too costly. You can't build up enough wealth to escape death. You can't bargain with the pits. You can't bargain with death. Wealth and power and influence have zero to do with living forever. It's a sham. It's a scam. It's bogus. It's false confidence. It has zero to do. It's it's like the parable Jesus told in in Luke 12 of the rich fool. His, His land produced plentifully. Right, and he he saw this and said, "Let me take advantage of this. Let me just build more and more and store it all in, and and I can I can live for a long time. I I, I may be able to get enough off this that I can live forever." And Jesus, what does He say to him? He says, "You fool! Tonight, your life, your soul, is mine. It's impossible." It's impossible that we may be able to somehow think that we can cheat death by what we have hoarded in this lifetime. The SV, my translation and many in here, in verse 8 says, ransom for their life is costly. It can never suffice. Literally here, it means it seizes forever. It closes up. There is absolutely no way that your life can be ransomed, that the price can be met, that you may receive more life. It can't happen. Matter of fact, the language is so strong to say this, you should stop trying. You should forever stop trying. You can't redeem a life that is destined for death. Second of all, death for all is inevitable. That's why it's so foolish. Death for all is inevitable. The foolish rich even knows it, you see. In verse 10, for he sees... He sees this, that even the wise die. Right? Even the wise won't be able to use their wisdom to avoid death. We're speaking here of a physical death. The grave is inevitable. The wise, the foolish, the stupid, all die. Wealth and everything it involves is left for someone else. Everything that you build up will be left... They'll probably fight over it. Death is the great equalizer. Everyone becomes equal in death. A fuller picture is presented of the wicked wealthy still trying to escape death. And here's what's so ironic about the the wicked trying to escape death. The irony is they're doing all these things because they know that death is coming. They know that it's inevitable. Look at verse 11. Their graves are their homes forever. Here's a a more detailed picture. Their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Doesn't matter. First part of 11 is different in some of your translations than mine. It says, their graves... Mine says... Their graves are their, their homes forever. Showing the irony of them trying to make their world and life and legacy last forever. Other translations that some of you might have say something like, it's their inner thought, like their desire that their houses would last forever. Or that they foolishly think their houses, their legacies will last forever. But the idea is the same. Death is inescapable. Nothing of this life will last forever. Go ahead and name something after yourself. And see if that helps with your death. You'll still be dead. And the reality is, you'll mostly still be forgotten. What was the name of that one street again? I don't know. Verse 12, we get the best summary thus far of the main thrust of this psalm. This is the best summary. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beast that perish. Despite pomp. Cool word. Despite wealth. Despite honor. Despite status. Despite assets. The sober reality is that a man will perish like beast. I like how one commentator summarizes the word pomp. He says, Pomp is the magnificence of position and wealth. It's what we look to with worldly eyes that say, Look how magnificent that looks. Look at that position. Look at that status. Look what they have to enjoy. It's the status of honor. Though worldly, what a terrible thing wealth is to trust in. Finite sinners cannot redeem themselves. The debt of sin is too costly. Church, stop trying. The unbeliever this morning, we pray the Spirit softening your hearts and opening your ears to this unbeliever who has looked for satisfaction in every area but Christ. Stop trying. It's impossible. The debt of sin is too costly. There's no hope in it. Don't believe it. Don't believe the lies of this world. Don't trust the fleeting. Don't grasp for the temporary. Don't be tempted by worldly cravings. Even if you get them, they won't satisfy. They won't save you. They won't give you life. This path leads to death and only death. And yet people over and over again, if you look at verse 13, people over and over and over again fall into this trap. This is the path, that of man in his pomp. This is the path of those with foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boast. It's an endless cycle for the ungodly, for the wicked. And if we stop here, then verse thirteen honestly makes a little bit more sense. Okay? Because what to this point we're talking about death as that which is physical. Okay? Understand that a couple of verses earlier, what did the psalmist say? Death happens even for the wise. The fool and the stupid, they're gonna die, but guess what? Also for the wise? You could say also for the righteous, also for the godly? Death happens too. So if we stop here at verse 13, maybe it makes a little bit more sense that we can live like absolute foolish pagans. Maybe if death is all there is, then at least there's a little bit of a logic of, hey, we all die anyway. Wise or stupid. Rich and poor. Why not approve of the boast of the wicked and the arrogant? Why not live that way? It looks to be more enjoyable. It looks to bring more fun. So we must go past just dying. We must go past just being sent to the grave. We have to go to a destiny that everyone holds after death. In this temporary life, what's the difference between a life lived trusting in power and possessions and influence versus trusting in an almighty God? Our attention turns to the destinies of the wise and the foolish. This is the height of our psalm this morning. And our psalm is a song. Remember that. Remember just like songs would build up. I imagine some kind of build up. Okay, so So if our heads were drooping in verse 5, if we are the ones that feel threatened by the wicked and the ungodly, Maybe we set up a little bit to engage. Maybe we woke up with a little bit of hopefulness to the reality that wealth can't save and the wicked will surely die either way. And then here in verses 14 and 15, we actually turn and we wake up all the way into a confident smile. We are presented here now with a joyful expectation and anticipation. Verse 14, like sheep they, the wicked, are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol for He will receive me. A stark contrast, verses 14-15. to They, being those who are foolishly confident in wealth are appointed, they are put in, they are placed in Sheol. They don't only die. We go past death, we go past the grave to to a biblical term called Sheol where they are said to be there shepherded by death. What a dark... Dark picture of death. Death is a person here in this picture. You notice that? Death is personified. And death is a shepherd. Dark picture. Death leads and tends and feeds the wicked. The fullness of death, the control of death is the shepherd of the wicked. And in this shepherding, they will be consumed in Sheol. In verse 14, we see sort of like being uh, parenthetical again, like, like, like this phrase in parentheses, there's this triumph of the godly, the upright, for the first time in our passage. We see the triumph of the godly over the grave of the wicked. Look at 14b. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. We see an unfolding of a different destiny for the righteous. Verse 15 is what commentator Derek Kidner calls one of the mountaintops of Old Testament hope. That's why we say the Gospel of Psalm 49. According to Psalm 49... Kidner says it's a mountaintop of Old Testament hope. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for He will receive me. Here is full confidence for the follower and the God-fearer. Here is a full celebration, a full hope for the upright, the godly, that what no man can do, what no man can do, remember verses 7-9, through Man cannot be redeemed by a man. It is way too costly. What God can do alone is to receive and take out of the grip and the power of Sheol. You see, the righteous after death seem to go to Sheol too. But they see there's a difference. God will redeem my soul. God will redeem our soul from the power of Sheol. There is redemption. The wicked have no hope. They are in the grips of the power of Sheol. The ultimate death that they are appointed to. Appointment is strong language. It is, they are placed there. But God Himself will do and can do what no high status, what no level of importance that you reach in this world, what no level of arrogance to try to ignore what's coming, what no heaping pile of wealth can do. He will pay the ransom, not just that releases me from the pit of Sheol and the power of ultimate death to triumph on the grave, but He will receive me. He will take me. He will, you could say, raise me. There's no doubt here there is language of the resurrection. Though varying degrees of how much the psalmist understands about the resurrection and the life to come for believers there's no doubt here that that to our ears it doesn't quite sound strong enough when we just say god will receive me but understand here in the hebrew what he is saying is god will take me up and god will bring me up and raise me up God will raise up from the hold of death the godly. Death won't fracture your communion with God for those who are trusting in Christ. You understand that? There is no fracture of the communion and fellowship with your God that happens at death. That dependency, that trust here in this world, even that oppression of the wicked won't fracture God's good care and provision and our destiny that is ultimately with Him. When we cross from self-reliance, when we cross from pride-feeding, from from riches-seeking into trusting the full promises and resting in the faithfulness of a good God, there is a changing of the shepherds. We are no longer shepherded by death, but now we are shepherded by the Good Shepherd. The One that shepherds us to life. You understand here, these are giant contrasts. We're talking about the battle of good and evil. What all of our hearts long to hear, the triumph of good. We're talking about good winning. We're talking about good triumphing. We are talking about victory over death. There is life as opposed to death. The one that when I die, the shepherd that will receive me, that will raise me up in continued and more full enjoyment of sweet relationship than I can ever imagine, and it would be for eternity. This life, we have to get our heads wrapped around church. We have to get it into our heads. We have to get it past our heads. We have to get it deep into our hearts. We will need reminded way long after just this message this morning. It's why we gather every Sunday. We have to get it into our hearts. I myself, more than anything, this life is temporary. This life is short. This life is unstable. Wealth is unstable. It's unpredictable. It's fleeting. Don't fall for a minute for its traps. Don't be afraid of those who operate within this world's foolish systems. Why do the wicked prosper in this world? We don't get a full answer, but we return back to the threat... And for the believer, we see the threat resolved. By the end, it really doesn't seem like much of a threat at all if you're trusting in the promises of God. Be not afraid, verse 16. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. By the way, what a temptation. Matter of fact, it's spelled out to us. It's like He turns from this story and and talks directly to everyone who's listening. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, don't be trapped and fooled by it. Because His soul will go to the generation of His fathers who will never again see light. There is no hope for the wicked past the grave. It's a sober truth. It is only darkness. There is no light. They will never again, verse 19 says, see the light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast that perish. You see, that sounds like Verse 12 with the addition of the phrase without understanding." If you look at verse 12, man in his pomp will not remain. He will not endure. He is like the beast that perish." You look at the closing verse, man in his pomp, yet without understanding is like the beast that perish." What is your understanding this morning? What is your understanding of the great redemption that you need to not be condemned and damned eternally to utter darkness that is inescapable? What is your understanding this morning? Do you lack understanding in the way that you chase for all this world offers? Or do you see that your confidence and wisdom, the wisdom of a redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ that was way too costly for any money to buy but can be completely taken care of, bought, and sealed by the blood of Jesus on the cross and give you all the satisfaction that you crave and that will one day when you are made perfect, you will be able to enjoy it in the most perfect sense that we can. Is your understanding that? Let's pray. Father, every, everyone with ears, would they hear? Father would you would you soften every resistant heart Lord would you soften the heart that is chasing full on of the wealth of this world Father would you soften and make nasty to their mouth the drinks of this world. Lord, for the believer whose confidence in the promises of God are shaken, Lord, would You draw them away from that which is fleeting? Lord, would You show us in contrast to the pomp That magnificent looking honor, would you show us in contrast how dark and pale and ugly it is next to the glory of Christ? Lord, would you do work to save those? Would you do those, do work to redeem those? Lord, would you do work to restore us? We ask these things in your Son's name. Amen.